I'm Noah, and you're listening to Product Journey. Ben, you are back. Yes, enjoying the fancy new intro music here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, I'm sure all the listeners are very glad to hear your voice. Just that such a great voice. And if people listen to this uh, podcast for for you know a couple years now, they're they're missing your voice. So what's what's going on, Ben? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I actually never really liked listening to my own voice. It's always a pain, to be honest. <laughs> but I'm glad you think so. No, I mean, I think you have a pretty good accent, you know, you know, kind of the German mixed with the English. I don't know. There's, there's something, there's something nice about it. So glad, I'm sure glad people to hear. enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, was kind of in survival mode for the last couple of months. Didn't really do much, to be honest, for the, for the first half of the year. Uh, moved apartments a couple times, <laughs> uh, had kind of the stressful time, bought a new car, sold some NFTs, <laughs> uh, oh, but nice. yeah, I didn't, didn't really do much in the site business department. Um, I did, however, take good care of my, I hope good care of my, uh, freelancing clients, onboarded my first, uh, German customer, which was fun because I could drive down there, visit them. That was a first. <laughs> Usually, oh, nice. you know, like if they're in France or London or whatever, it's kind of hard to go there. I could probably, you know, like have that as a business expense, but I never really did that so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that was fun. Get a chance to use and your new car. Yeah, ex- exactly. I actually <laughs> drove it down there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, well, that's uh, yeah, cool. So, so just recently got back into uh, a better state, so to say, and started building building again. So uh, what about yeah. you? I know that you, uh, I heard your solo app like last week or the second last week, and you're kind of kind of on a, on a mission to take Potion back right now, right? That's right, yeah. Um, getting the uh, momentum back and uh, yeah, because I think I was kind of burned out for a little while and, and uh, just wasn't sure if I wanted to take the you know, there's a, there's a lot of things I could do, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to put the effort in. And so now after having a little bit of a break, and I've, I've had a lot of, uh, we, this is probably the summer I've done like vacations the most or had different weeks off, which was pretty nice. But it kind of, I think, really got me kind of motivated um, and wanting to come back to really push Potion to the next level. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the goal. Um, yeah, that's, so it's, it's that's actually fun. pretty pretty good to hear also because now your current situation allows for that and i totally feel that because i'm super motivated to start something again as well after that long break yeah it's something like there's something about that with being a builder where you know there's kind of maybe cycles of ups and downs where it's like maybe you're you we get tired and then we're like i just want to you know, I want to just be able to do normal life and like read a book or play a video game or something. And then like it all, that little itch always comes back somehow with builders where it's like, I want to make something. Yep. Yeah, I was, honestly, I was actually a little frustrated because my life situation was so stressful that I just didn't really want to continue the pod because I felt it was adding stress. I didn't really want to, you know, sit down and build something on the side. So it was basically just working two or three days each week and then just going to the gym and doing random life stuff, really, uh, instead mm. of building something. And then, you know, like at some point I hit the point where it's like, actually, I kind of want to build something, but I really don't feel motivated enough to do it or, you know, like not even motivated, but not really 
in any state of doing it. Motivation probably isn't the right word for it because I can definitely force myself to do it, but I didn't really want to do that either. So yeah, glad to be uh, out of that state. <laughs> yeah, that is good. I mean, motivation is kind of a, uh, it's kind of a weird, funny thing to like understand how to get to where you want it to be. Um, because like we really do need motivation to work on something, especially like when you're making your own business, there's so much of it, like with the SaaS, where it's like the work up front, where you're putting like an investment in and you really have to like believe that this thing is gonna hopefully turn into something or work out or otherwise you're yep. kind of just like, why, why am I wasting my time on this? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. You gotta, you gotta be borderline crazy <laughs> believing in what you're doing there, even though there's no proof of it working out in the end. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, just reading like books of like different entrepreneurs journeys that have done that where they've, you know, it's, it's typically like with the big startups that end up kind of changing technology and stuff where it's like, oh, wow, they just like worked on this thing for like multiple years before. Um, yeah, before it kind of took off. Actually, I was just reading about this guy yesterday. Have you heard of the game Stardew Valley? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I was, it's a pretty crazy story because I, I just played that game uh, just because I heard it was fun and I just tried it out and I was kind of like we were saying, I was I was trying, because I, I haven't played games in a long time and uh, I was like, oh, I kind of want to break, I kind of feel like playing a game and this was, you know, a couple weeks ago and so I got Stardew Valley and it's kind of like a 2D version of Minecraft but it's nothing really like Minecraft. It's almost like a farm simulator and you're like have all these quests and things you're doing and you're building out your farm and you can buy things and craft things and stuff like that. Well, it was built by one solo developer and I think it oh, took him like, that. yeah, by one developer. And he was like kind of crazy about it where he wouldn't let anyone like touch it. Like uh, <laughs> he wouldn't let anyone else do any of the art. Like he did all the art himself and like you know all what? the coding and then That's for crazy. the first while he wouldn't let anyone test it either he was only game tester and <laughs> he would just be testing himself and then eventually i guess someone convinced him that he really needed help testing it um <laughs> and he had like a team of people just test it but he still like built the whole thing but i think it took him like five years to build it before wow. he released the first like version of it <laughs> <laughs> and then well, it became like I think it's maybe the most popular indie game like ever. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, that's a different level of uh, determination. So I've I've got a friend uh, who actually introduced me to the game, and she's playing it on two different consoles at the same time. Like I think they're they're like wait times, and you can trade with yourself and whatnot. And I was like, wow, that's like there's a whole thing to it, right? And I was like, wow, that's oh, wow. insane. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty wild. Um, so tell us, tell us about setups. Tell us about the new thing that you, you've been kind of tweeting about it in public, sharing. I like your cool little, your journal, kind of daily journal that you're doing. That's been cool to follow along. So yeah, what's up with setup? Yep. Uh, so setup was basically born out of my client work. <laughs> um, mm. So there was a there was a day at at work basically where I was very frustrated because it took me over an hour to figure out how to just get uh, a, a JS package to run basically. So it's an application that's made of like the, the backend's Laravel, there's a view uh, JS front end, and then there is a widget that needs to be embedded in the client's uh, or the customer's pages basically. 
but it's, it also shows inside the view front end. And so <laughs> it's a different package, a different repo. And so I had the entire application running, but the widget was updated for some reason, like there were some changes in that. And I needed to basically install it, install it anew. You know, like I had it running, but then there was so many changes, basically uh, killed the entire thing and had to install it fresh. And I ran npm install and it didn't work at all. I was like, okay, probably the wrong npm or node version, you know, tried switching around with that. Then there was a conflict with like, inside the actual repo, there were different versions that couldn't be resolved because, you know, npm has to resolve all the different packages and whatnot. And yeah, it turned out like you had to have a very specific minor version of node.js install actually to for it to be able to resolve that whole thing. And it took me like, mm -hmm. I don't know, 45 minutes just to resolve that. And it was really frustrating because the client didn't exactly know why it wasn't working. I didn't really know why it wasn't working. And, you know, I, I was trying to change something in the code, but it wasn't even getting there. So I was like, oh my God, this is, whew. And I don't, I don't blame the client at all. Like it's a small company, basically. I'm like the first uh, developer, maybe the second on it. Um, and so there was not a ton of documentation or whatever, but also like, I think that's a problem that could happen even if there was some kind of documentation because you just expect the npm install to work. Um, mm -hmm. But because I have to switch node, node versions anyway per client, that sometimes happens to me that I, you know, like got to switch around. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Like I, I kind of took that with me into the evening. I was like, man, that's kind of a frustrating problem. And how many hours do developers all over the world waste on just getting their shit installed on their local machine, right? And I was like, well, mm -hmm. there's Docker, uh, and in some discovery calls now, people mentioned, hey, we're using Vagrant or you know, like Docker Compose, all that stuff. Uh, but first, I think for some repos, that just wouldn't be a great option because either it would be overkill to put that into a Docker container, or it wouldn't even make sense. Like having that widget, for example, in a Docker container, doesn't really make that much sense. It would probably make the npm version locking stuff, you know, go away. Um, because the Docker file will just be exactly replicated, but yeah, not always a good option. And so, yeah, basically what came out of this, me being frustrated is uh, the, the base idea for setup, which is just uh, making it easier for developers to be onboarded onto a project. And that doesn't really, um, like that's not really limited to just the technical aspect of it, but I definitely want to look mm -hmm. into if there is a way, and that's how playbooks were born. Basically I'm calling them playbooks, which is just like, you know, you can execute playbooks and they will do an exact replication of a setup, basically. Um, like install stuff where you lock the node version to whatever needs to be. So yeah, that could have been fixed with the playbook already, I guess. But also I want to yeah. look at, you know, coming into a team uh, and maybe like having little, like basically like a knowledge base, but a little bit more structured, more organized, easier to access um, that lets you go in there and find out like, hey, I just nuked the production DB, how do I fix that? <laughs> or also introducing the team if it's a bigger company, like who is responsible for the front end? Who can I, you know, ping or call? What's their email address? Like having a central point where you just find all the info you really want to have when you get onboarded onto a new team. And especially mm. looking at it from, from an angle that's like remote developers, right? Like you're a remote dev, you're getting onboarded to a new team everything's new you have no idea how to navigate the code maybe there can be videos inside setup that just walk you through different aspects of the application and that's all really just hypotheses right now and i'm trying to talk to as many people as i can um, put up a little um, early access forum which already led to some good conversations but really want to look at some bigger companies too so i really got to figure out right now how to how to you know, talk to them, find people who either hire some developers or are in charge of managing them 
or you know like who are really in charge of onboarding them because they are also like if if the onboarding process isn't really great not just the developer gets frustrated and is wasting time but also maybe their their colleagues right who are supposed to onboard them <laughs> um, yeah and yeah the, the fun thing so far or the good thing so far is everybody who I have talked to so far right away goes, hey, yeah, that's a problem. You know, like <laughs> that's a problem we have. Like our onboarding process is like two out of 10 or whatever. Um, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I feel like I don't really have to sell that that issue um, to them, but I still have to figure out what a good solution might be. And I have some ideas and I'm yeah, basically in the middle of building out some of these ideas and then showing them to people. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really cool. So a couple of thoughts. First of all, just like thinking about the problem um, that I mean, that problem is out of all the software developer things I've done, like experiences I've had and stuff. I think this problem is probably one of the most annoying ones <laughs> I've like dealt with because Same. it is it is kind of that thing where it's like, you, you know, you start a project, you do something and it's like you just can't get the project to build and it and it's the errors that you get back and stuff, a lot of times like give you like no clue of like what's kind of wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. And like, even like you were saying with like the node versions being wrong, it's like, that's such a, a weird thing. Like I, I, I still don't really understand why like the node version being a little different is like, would make a, pro a project work or not work. Um, <laughs> but there's just, yeah, yeah, there's just weird things like that where it's kind of my least favorite part of software development where you have to get all these versions in the right, you know, working the right way on your local machine just to get something working. And I've noticed there's different like frameworks that this problem is way worse for. Like with with like the NPM and Node stuff, um, like with Next and React, I haven't had this problem kind of come up as often. But back when I worked and did like mobile stuff, it's it's pretty terrible. Like it comes up a lot because everything is is all like it's all very much local and you have like their, you know, editor um, and each like iOS and Android both have their own like installation kind of, kind of like their uh, installation framework kind of thing. Um, so I guess that's the first question, like would this, would setup work with like all kinds of software projects, like even like iOS and Android and, you know, just the different kind of platforms like windows and mac and different things like that yep ideally that's the case so i definitely want to make it work for different program languages um so yeah i know that laravel or php for example like they're using composer uh and you know like it's almost like a meta layer on top of different package managers so to say um and you can really just utilize the different package managers and you know like have them involved in the installation steps uh, but also just bash commands to make sure that you can copy over config files and whatnot so that's working because that's also always an issue right like if you're setting up an xjs project for example you're almost guaranteed to have like an environment file but yeah. you don't really have access to that if you're starting right and so like where do you get that and maybe even even that could be solved with a with a playbook mm. for example um, yeah. or at least set up like the application setup could at some point somewhere contain like hey just ping Noah and he'll give you the variables you know for your for your end file, right? Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's the other thing I was thinking about that you you mentioned like setup kind of helping with knowing who's kind of in control of what. And so like I worked at a pretty big company my last like normal job, and that that's like definitely a problem where 
sometimes a lot of your job is like just like paying people in slack and being like uh who like who worked on this part of the project or who's in charge of this and then like that person then points you to another person which is then that person's (laughs) like oh no actually that wasn't me that was you know joe over here and then and then um joe's like oh no that was actually this guy that's already left and he's not even here and we don't really know much how this works you know like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that yep. kind of thing right. happens. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can definitely see like having ways to like point out who's in who kind of is in the know on things and who you should be talking to. Like, I could definitely see that being helpful. Um, how do you think about? Because I feel like with a lot of this, well, I think the the initial part with like you're talking about with like the playbooks, like that definitely seems like a technical thing that can just be fixed and be better. Um, but what do you, how do you fix some of the parts where it in some ways it's just like you need more documentation to know like what's what because um, in some ways that puts it on the team to actually do the documentation which we know how you know a lot of developers don't do that or don't want to do that maybe yep yep uh, so two things have come up so far that actually came out of talking to people and one of them is templates <laughs> like just having a ton mm-hmm. of templates that makes it easy to uh, I, I don't know like one thing apart from the team could be a tools section right where you basically write down hey we're using this and that tool and you can either get the password here or there or just all the passwords with setup directly uh, that would be cool um, but yeah just having templates like you know like being able to, to to, to, I don't know, like create a documentation that explains how, uh, I, I don't know, like how to install the pusher queue in Laravel or whatever. Um, and just having a template for that, like having a pusher queue template, for example, and just making it super easy to just fill that out with a couple of uh, building blocks already there, a bit of text written already, and just really just have to paste in. Or Stripe would be a good example, right? Stripe is so popular, used mm-hmm. in a lot of projects. You could have like a Stripe uh, template where you basically just fill in like your, your keys, uh, and which subscription model or whatever you're using um, and who's in charge of the Stripe account maybe. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe another thing that came up from those calls besides templates would be sending reminders, uh, just sending email reminders to people like, hey, is this still up to date? Because apparently that doesn't happen too often. And yeah, mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's an interesting problem to look at from this specific angle because obviously we know that a lot of different tools can take care of the documentation like Notion, for example. But really just looking at it from like, how can we, or how can I make this very specific to developers and make it better for them? I think that's the, that's the key part. <laughs> and I haven't yeah. really figured that out, right? So right now, templates and reminders seem to be a good idea. <laughs> no, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I can see what you're saying where it's like, I don't know of any tools really that have like tackled this very specific problem and having a tool like you're saying that's like very specific towards this where it just makes this process really easy and you can have things built in that just make it a lot quicker than if you were just writing it down in a doc of some sort um, and just making it easy to find and things like that like I think that could make a lot of sense. Um, One more thing that I thought of when people mentioned the reminders actually because it probably starts with you logging in with a GitHub account uh, and connecting to some kind of repo, right? And if, for example, you split it up, like, hey, this is the front end um, repo, this is the back end repo, and we have a documentation part for each, 
and you can connect them in a way in setup. And then we can actually observe code changes to that specific repo. We could send reminders based on, hey, something changed in, like, in the config file for the front end or whatever. And you could even just let people choose like, hey, this is the config file for that repo and just watch that for changes or just general changes, right? Like over time, just look at it every, I don't know, two weeks and look at how much has changed and then send out a reminder, hey, there's a lot of changes. Do you need to update the documentation here? It's like, hey, you just changed a thousand lines on this file yeah. <laughs> and you didn't submit anything to set up uh, something wrong here. <laughs> exactly. Like I saw that you changed something on the Stripe integration, but you haven't really updated here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool idea. Uh, it seems like there's... It seems like there's lots of sides of this problem. Like there's lots of different part, like angles of documentation on like the setup part versus like the actual code itself versus like the onboarding. Um, I guess what's kind of your plan to like to tackle first? Um, and I guess it, it does seem like you could probably take like a subset of this problem and just focus on that. And it's probably, you could probably still find something that people would be able or, or willing to pay for. Um, but yeah, what's, yeah, what's kind of your plan? Yep. So I want to focus on three different areas, which is code through the playbook stuff. And I mean, th those are, as I said, hypotheses, right? Like I'm testing if they are really issues worth solving or not. So the first is code, the second is documentation, and the third is basically learning. And by learning, I mean, you could be onboarded and there's a couple tutorials specifically tailored to that project, right? Like that could be videos um, and maybe even like you get onboarded, this is day one, you get, you got three different, uh, I don't know what to call them, lessons maybe to watch or to go through. And then two days later, a new lesson will pop up, you'll get notified and you'll be able to watch that one. Like somebody prepares them in setup, you know, sets them up. <laughs> um, and then mm -hmm. the new dev who gets onboarded basically gets assigned those lessons and you can maybe even like time them like, hey, five days later, you'll see the next lesson or whatever. That could be interesting for learning and that could make it an ongoing like you know onboarding at some point obviously ends and but this could make it something that that's recurring obviously because people yeah. you know like new stuff gets added new stuff is there to learn um then yeah well there's documentation what we just talked about and playbooks for the code but ideally you could also like have all of those uh intersect at some point so for example like if there is a, a section called tools or teams or both uh, you should be able to reference them in those lessons, right? Like you write down the lesson, how to set up the pusher queue, and then you mention or you, you tag somebody in there. And when you click them and set up, you probably get, you know, like get shown their whatever Slack name or, you know, like how to contact mm -hmm. them. And you go through the lesson, you have, you have questions left, you can contact them immediately. That just, you know, just making the onboarding as smooth as possible for new devs. <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty cool. I like the uh, like the lessons idea. Um, kind of almost like it's almost like making your onboarding into like a course. And then yeah. I like with that because I think you know I, I've been a new employee at let's see, like three places now, and um, it's it's you know your first day, your first week, it's a pretty like it's pretty hard to like take in everything that people are throwing <laughs> in at you. And then they have no like, idea a lot what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you just feel so dumb. And then like a lot of companies have abbreviations for things. That could even be something you could add. Oh, like, yeah. Almost like a, a little abbreviations wiki or a glossary or something. Because you'll like hear people talking like, I, I can't even understand what you're saying. Like you're saying all these abbreviations. <laughs> like this one company I worked at, we had like, I don't know, like six different products, like apps that we were working on. 
but that each one was an abbreviation. The name was abbreviation. And I yep. just could not follow along. It's like, wait, which, which project are we are we talking about now? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so yeah, I know that I had clients when I was still working at the agency who had like abbreviations for everything. They had like a lot of different areas in their business. Right, it was like BIB, MCP. I was like, what? I have no idea what that's <laughs> what, what that is. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I think the idea of having lessons where it's like it's not all at once. It's just like slowly you're kind of learning more and more. And it's, yep. it's kind of more of a ramp up period with onboarding that makes that just more like, like just nicer for new people where it's, it's not like, Hey, we're expecting to know you for you to know all this stuff at once. It's like, yeah, this is like a couple week program you're going to go through. And by the end you'll know. And it kind of sets expectations for new people too, that hopefully makes it a little bit more comfortable maybe. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, so what my company, my last company kind of did was maybe like the lead dev on the team would do like a two hour like code walkthrough. Well, actually, no, this is how we did it. We, we, we had like each person that maybe was kind of in charge of a certain part of the project. They would do like an hour walkthrough with the new um, onboarding person. And so they, yep. they, that new person within a couple of days would do like four or five hours with five different people looking at different parts of the code and just like walking through it. And so one, that's like taking a lot of time from the team that's already there. Um, and then obviously that's like just a lot in like a couple of days for that new yeah. person. And so I could, I could see that process kind of like put into a couple of weeks where, you know, you each dev kind of maybe made the little video kind of tutorial kind of things like early on. And then they just have to do it once and then new people can just kind of start with that and it's not taking both, you know, both of their time. Um, so I could see that being really good and saving a lot of time. And, um, you know, a lot of like big tech companies and startups, like they, they hire a lot, especially if they're growing a lot and stuff like that, um, to where this, this is something that takes a lot of time, just like the whole hiring process and onboarding new people. And then like, at least I know in the US, for software engineers, I think the average is like 18 months for them to stay at a company, which, so a year and a half, that's not that long. Like, that just yep. means that people are just moving around so much and this onboarding thing just is happening a lot. And, and so it's a problem, yeah. Yeah, it definitely won't go away. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think the bigger the company, the more pressing that issue is actually. And I'm not even looking to replace stuff like onboarding buddies and, you know, like having code walkthroughs and pairing sessions. I think those are important and they should be there. But making it a little more async, maybe just like you said, like if you have five different people talking for an hour each, maybe they can just record that once and it can be like you know like up to date for at least that month so if you're onboarding right. i don't know like five or ten new devs that month you just save 50 hours maybe um and yeah thinking of companies like shopify or spotify who have like a, a real a ton of devs right going in and out right. each month um yeah like even even the offboarding could be part of you know like one of those lessons maybe like hey you got to turn in your laptop like here's what to do right like that could be a lesson in the onboarding or in setup basically even though it's like kind of offboarding um, but you're having those lessons like, you know, like being visible on your, in your last week or whatever, stuff like that could be really interesting to, uh, to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was trying to remember, you know, Peter Sum, who's, you know, bootstrapper and stuff. 
he was working on Branch, and I'm trying to remember exactly what Branch did, but did it have some similarities to this in some way, if you remember? I think it was a CI tool for WordPress specifically. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, so a little different. <laughs> Pretty but much, he had, completely, he had, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had something like Playbooks, though, if I remember. Um, oh, yeah, did. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Playbook's the term. I probably didn't coin that. I think I took that from Ansible or something. They also, I think they also call them Playbooks or Recipes or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, anyways, so you've, you know, you've been starting to kind of build in public and share what you're doing on Twitter. Um, yeah, like, how's that been going? Have you been enjoying doing that and, like, doing the little one-day summary kind of things? Those have been cool. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting in the first half of the year because I really did not miss Twitter at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pretty fun not tweeting, not, not checking the app at all. And I was I was wondering how it would actually feel or how it would actually work out if I started tweeting again, but it went pretty well so far. I can't complain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, just testing it out. Yeah, exactly. And I started uh, bands.day trying to really r sit down each evening and just write down what I what I accomplished just to have a little bit of accountability and maybe have something to look back at um, and yeah so far I'm going strong <laughs> so the first week is done basically this is the second week now uh, mm -hmm. two days off I think so far which is fine too um, oh yeah, I see no, that I, you kind I'm of put a little it. tab that just says day off that's kind of cool yeah exactly <laughs> that's cool um, let's see, I've missed, like, I've, I haven't read the, like, last two yet. What's, what's being a sponge about? Oh, being a sponge is about basically just, um, listening to what people have to say, making a ton of calls that day and listening to whatever feedback I get. <laughs> nice. That's, yep. that's pretty cool. I mean, it's a good sign, at least from the beginning, that it seems like you have people that want to talk to you about the problem and, and this whole thing. Cause I'm, you know, like with some businesses, like with support man, like it was just hard to find people to talk to for me. I remember, yeah. um, and just like being able to start hearing like feedback and people's experiences and stuff. And like, that's obviously pretty important, but it also shows if people want to talk about it, then maybe it's a problem they have and they, they want it to be fixed. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that they come from different places too. Like one thing that I've, initially thought of and it seems to be true is that there's a huge overlap between onboarding people to an open source project or repo and onboarding people to a company because obviously both are code bases talking about tech companies um and yeah i've, I've so far talked to three different open source maintainers too because they felt like hey uh, it's a pain for new committers or maintainers to get onboarded because we have a pretty complex setup and getting that working on your local machine is a problem too so yeah, there is kind of an overlap and I think that's super interesting because if I can leverage that to get set up in front of developers' eyes and developers might you know, present that to their companies. Um, yeah, I, I see some overlap there that could be interesting. Um, and it, I think, yeah, I think the problem is pretty much closely related. Like if you could use the whole learning thing that's in my head for open source repos too, that would be pretty cool. You know, like mm -hmm. here's the first couple of things to find your way around the open source repo. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, the open source idea is really cool. Um, it's kind of like a, a way of doing marketing in a sense of just like getting people yeah. to know about your tool. Um, maybe the open source. I don't know if your plan would be for them to be able to use it for free or 
how that would work, but especially if it was yep. free, it'd be more a marketing thing, I guess. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about open sourcing, like maybe even having like an open core where people can really contribute to the entire pro product really, uh, and then just licensing it uh, properly. Um, I, th I think it's an interesting angle because we're talking about developer onboarding and then if you're a developer and you're you know able to improve that onboarding flow even further, you know, yourself, I think that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, and that's really interesting if, you know, especially if like maybe the first subset of developers that you go for are open source projects and stuff, they'll be using it for their project. So it's helping them. And so then that kind of gives them incentive to like, oh, I want to make this thing better. And then they help make yeah. Uh, set up better and then yeah that's really interesting I don't know much about you know like different tools that have kind of gone the open source route where they like start out as like an open source tool and then they kind of like build a business off of that kind of like I think Tailwind has and Laravel maybe has um, but that's definitely like an interesting path yep yeah I've been looking at some of them <laughs> Like Ghost, mm -hmm. for example, I think is a great example. Um, you know, you can self-host Ghost. And it's really just like the term, I think, is commercial open source software. And it's actually pretty much a growing thing. Um, I, I think there's a lot more happening in that regard. Um, I don't think it makes sense for every business to go that route, to be honest. But especially because, mm -hmm. like, the setup is so close to the developers. Um, yeah. just by nature, it, it might make sense to go that route. I haven't really fully decided if I want to do it or not, but I'm almost sure it might make sense because, yeah, if you can leverage the network effect of that, it could be yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, like you said, I think it, it maybe makes sense if the tool is very much developer-first, like first, like developer-friendly, and they're like kind of the main users of it, um, then, then, yeah, like it could maybe make sense to kind of get it in front of them through open source and that's 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 exactly like that's a good point because like are they the primary users of it and that's where it get inter gets interesting i think because they are like part of the users right like one part is obviously people in the company setting up those learning paths and the other on the other hand also writing the playbooks right like those would be devs and then the people getting onboarded they are obviously developers um but like having that contributor persona who would contribute to uh, set up potentially when it's an open source product on GitHub and the buyer persona who's actually in charge of buying the product like those are very different people right and yeah. you still have to make that yeah. connection of like it's an open source product people m might like it but are they the people who buy it no they're not and so like you know maybe there is a disconnect there and I still have to figure out if, if it makes sense at all or not <laughs> yeah and it seems like maybe kind of like you know like if you can get the developers to love it so much, they get them to go like tell their boss like, hey, let's let's pay yeah. for this thing or whatever. Perfect. Like that seems like maybe yeah. the, the the best route potentially. Um, I think that's like kind of what Tuple has done a little bit. Like I think I remember they made like a guide for like developers, like how to convince your boss to like let us get yeah. Tuple. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, they definitely have that effect as well because the developers are the ones using it and if you know, like if they love it and there's no real alternative or it's better than whatever, they might tell their boss. Like I know from being an employee that I went to my boss a couple of times like, Hey, we need this and that software and they wouldn't even blink an eye and just you know, like, yeah, I just get it. <laughs> yeah. Because if it makes your job easier, it saves hours, yeah, why not? Yeah, I think that's true. Like part of uh, like a manager like person's job, like kind of their main thing is just to make their developers happy. 
And you know, kind of going back to that problem we talked about, where like developers normally stay at companies eighteen months, and um, and so in some ways, developers are kind of in the control seat a little bit, where it's like if they really want something, they need something to be happy. Their boss are like, yeah, sure, yeah, like <laughs> you know, if it'll make your life yep. better, uh, go yep. ahead. Um, so that that I that is probably a good thing for setup and what and what you're trying to do. Um, I was thinking as well which is kind of becoming more of a new thing. Like it seems like more of a process like this that's all like online, on, on people's computers, um, is also more so needed with remote work and just more companies going remote where maybe they did some of this process like in person or even like on a whiteboard. Um, it's just like that's happening less and less. And so there's more and more need for maybe something like this, which is which is yeah, exactly. It was it's funny. Like one of one of my clients who I also talked to on Monday, he was actually like, "You should look at how McDonald's onboards their employees." And I was like, "That's an interesting idea, actually." <laughs> and so what I did this week was I actually you know I actually tried to figure out how McDonald's does onboard their employees, um, and it's it's actually more modern than you would expect. Like they do have stuff to show their their employees like some videos and stuff before they actually, you know, like introduce them into the kitchen. Obviously, like that's got to be in person because you got to, you know, like figure out how that stuff works. Um, mm -hmm. But like they have a very, I think they have a very technical onboarding already. Um, I don't think they do that from home or wherever. Like they watch the videos back at the kitchen basically. But but still, like they have some kind of technical aspect in their onboarding already, which is interesting, I thought. But yeah, like making it async and um, remote friendly would be perfect. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, anything else that we haven't talked about with, with setup? Um, oh, pretty much everything I could think of. Yeah, no, that's, it's, I think it's a pretty cool thing to work on. Um, it seems like it could be a bigger endeavor. Like it, it could maybe take some time to, to, well, I guess it depends on what, what part of it, you know, how, how big of the scope you make it. Um, cause you could you could kind of launch with like a smaller version of it that could still be valuable um, yep. and do that pretty quickly potentially. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting problem and yeah, hope, hope it goes well with all that. Uh, let's see. Thanks, one last, last yeah, one last question I have kind of about it is so with the playbooks with like the technical side of it, cause I feel like this is probably something I don't understand super well. How does, how do the playbooks work technically where you're, you know, setting it up in a file and then, but it then runs locally and like can actually install things and do stuff locally. Like how does that work? So there's a CLI tool that I wrote, uh, that you will basically, I, I don't know how you get it right now, right now you, you obviously can't get it because it's just on my machine, <laughs> but it could be, for example, like I publish it on NPM and then you just go mm. NPM install setup. Uh, and from there on, like you install it globally, maybe, and then you can just go set up and it, like you're in the root of your, uh, of your repo, which contains a setup.json, which is the playbook essentially, right? And then you just run mm -hmm. the setup CLI and it just does its thing. It just goes through that. Um, and just from a very technical perspective, what it does is it just executes a bunch of commands in that order. Uh, but it also checks for dependencies that you can declare. Like if you're running a command that, for example, let's say like, like brew install wget or whatever it will check first if brew is installed if it's not installed it'll ask you do you want to install brew before that if you say no setup will fail if you say yes it will go grab brew for you or at least tell you how to get brew installed in your machine so it just really just 
checking those dependencies and adding some smart checks here and there. It can already take some user input. So for example, if there's like a config file to be written and you want to have like a public URL, for example, written to your config file, it could ask back based on what you put in the playbook, like, hey, I need info how to call that thing. You enter that during the setup process and it will automatically put that into your config files, stuff like that. So yeah, it's really just a task runner uh, gone wild. <laughs> um, but yeah. you definitely have to install something like a CLI for it to, to work. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like, I mean, I don't know. So I guess I'm kind of asking, like it seems like that there could just be so many variations with the different like client tools that different projects need. And like, I feel like I've experienced like, you know, just some weird use case where it's like, maybe you had something else installed or maybe you had a file that wasn't quite set up right, that that then fails the client tool you're trying to install or something. Like, how do you handle like some of those like edge cases of things just like not working, how maybe the playbook expects it to work or something like that? Yep, most interesting problem there is that different operating systems obviously need different managers or whatever. Like if you want to install wget, for example, on Mac, you could do that with brew. If you're on Linux, you won't have brew. You, you just don't have homebrew, right? You just go apt get install, whatever. And so the playbook either needs to be written for a specific platform or you need to deep or you need to like write down when you're when you're creating the playbook the different commands for each platform so to say um and what, what i can do inside the playbook is check the exact version like check if a command is present and if it's in the right path if i have the right rights to execute it and i can warn you about all those different things if something is not working but obviously there will be edge cases and i have no idea how to figure them out yet i would say <laughs> yeah so yeah, this is a hard yeah. problem. Let's be honest there. I it think is, this is yeah. the one, if you want to get it really well done, this will take a lot of time. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. One one idea I kind of had for you, and I don't know exactly how this would work, but I was kind of thinking of like a solution for this is like if you had a almost like a bot that was like watching what was going on when someone installed the project and got it working correctly and they have it running all good like if somehow you could like have a bot that's like watching all the things that are installed and all the things that are going on all the setup on that local machine and then just like recreating that in, as a playbook and it's kind of automated and it could get all those little details so that then anybody else could just like run it and it just hopefully you know it just works because it replicates what worked before I don't know that probably would be hard too like that'd be another set of problems how to solve that but like something like that would be really cool where it's kind of like an automated thing that just kind of works out of the box for people yeah that's interesting idea maybe you could do something like having a setup recorder where you're like hey set up record mm -hmm. now and then you just fire your bash commands or whatever and you know you like get to choose after that like here's the list you ran do you want to kick out any if not like let's make us let's make a playbook out of those that we just used maybe something like a recorder or something like that could work interesting idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, cool. This has been fun to kind of hear your uh, thinking through this and I hope it, I hope it goes well. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool problem. And uh, yep. uh, people definitely check out um, ben dot, Ben's.day, kind of his daily blog of building setup. That's a really cool, cool way to share kind of what you're doing. So check yep. that out, everybody. Cool. Uh, yeah, well, I guess we should, uh, this is probably a good time to end the pod. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, cause I've had a lot of people message me and they're like, 
where's Ben? Where's Ben at? What, what's up with Ben? So yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. So I think this will be great because everyone will kind of get to hear what's going on and it's good to catch up. Um, so we'll have to do it again. You'll have to come on again sometime and share how, yeah, how sure. everything's going. Yeah, definitely. Sweet. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and see you in another one. Bye-bye.